Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Keeb, and it's great to be with you here on this wonderful afternoon. And today, we're going to go from the office, which we discussed last week, the principles of work and making life meaningful and purposeful in our career and making money. Well, today we're going to go home. And this week's discussion is about family bliss. How can we create warm and a healthy environment in our homes? What can we do to ensure that our friendships, our family relationships, our domestic harmony, our personal spiritual development and growth and creating that right environment that we want for ourselves, for our family? That's the driving question we're gonna discuss today. How can we enhance this familial cohesion and ensure maximum support and benefit from our family life. So my friends, I want you to join with me on this journey. And as we're going to be doing here, sharing advice for life from the teachings, the guidance, the directives of the Lubavitcher Rebbe for a more meaningful and purposeful life. And you could of course join us in person on Wednesday evenings at Santon Central Shul or Wednesday mornings at Chabad Seniors Club. We're, we're taking a deep dive into these areas of life and we are uncovering a gold mine of this sagacious advice based on the teachings of the Torah through the prism, the view of the Rebbe. And this week we are going to uncover these areas because one of life's, would you say, most cherished aspects is the family unit. And particularly, obviously, there's different aspects of the family unit from the relationship between spouses and siblings and between parents and children. And of course, even our friendships beyond the home and especially any household where we're living together with each other. That's the main emphasis and focus on this week's discussion. And I think even if one has, um, you know, like I said, friends or neighbors or others who you wish to enhance the relationship, getting along with them. This is a relevant topic and your input and advice is most welcome. Love to hear your ideas because of course our families and our friendships offer us that invaluable treasure of love and support and a profound sense of belonging. However, the richness of our family and our family life and those friendships very much hinges on the extent of our investment. You ever look at the Coca-Cola bottles, especially in the past, they used to say, no deposit, no return. Well, we have to realize the more we pour into our relationships, whether they are whatever relationship we discussed, spouses, children, parents, siblings, friends, extended family, uh, coworkers, associates, employees, employers, etc., the more we savor the dividends of this extraordinary gift. And that's why it's a special privilege that I want to share with you the Rebbe's wisdom on this fundamental and paramount topic of everyone's life. When we want to document the members of a family and the relationships between them, what do we do? We create what we call a family tree. In fact, here at Chabad Seniors Programs, we recently did and embarked on our Monday art therapy program with art therapist Kim Abadi, where all our seniors participated in making a family tree. It was a really fun art project, but let's take that idea of the family tree for a moment. Let's explore the metaphor, the idea of a family tree, especially coming from Tubishvat last week. And just take a moment, I want you to think, to imagine a majestic tree in your beautiful garden. 
and its branches stretching to the skies, to the heavens. What sustains this tree? What allows the tree to flourish? And obviously, there's multiple elements from the nourishing nutrients that we discussed at great length last week for Tu Bishvat, and the sunshine, and the water, the very, the cure, just like a tree depends on these essential elements. Our families and friendships, our relationships thrive when they are cultivated with the particular components that provide stability and strength to them. Of course, this leads to an important question for today's discussion, and that is what areas in my life, what attitudes I have, what behaviors, what values can sustain and fortify harmony within all my relationships. And I'm sure we all have different things that we feel that what enhances our relationships and perhaps what gets in the way of them. And whatever you're thinking of, no doubt, is a vital facet for your relationships, certainly the way you feel about them. There's no doubt about that. But in today's discussion, we're gonna delve into the Rebbe's guidance for families. His teachings certainly, I would say, add refreshing insight and and new life to so many aspects, so many points that certainly can connect and relate to the ideas that you're thinking. And by engaging in the study, I think we all stand to gain. Some of the Rebbe's advice was offered to people who may be in deep crisis in their relationships. Others, you know, maybe it was basic, just suggestions, ideas. What they say about advice, it's the only commodity with more in supply than demand. Well, if the hat fits, I recommend you wear it. Because like we said, when a doctor advises somebody, a patient, an obese patient, to exercise. That guidance also applies to people who aren't obese. Because even if you're entirely healthy, you can benefit from exercise. Just rather than healing illness, what does the exercise do? It's a, instead of being reactive, we are gonna try to be proactive and strengthen ourselves. And I would say the same applies to any advice, particularly the Rebbe's advice in this particular area that we're discussing, that we can see that it is beneficial in any way that we can apply to our own lives. The Torah's teachings, which the Rebbe based his guidance and his advice, it applies to everyone. It's the teachings of the Torah. One family can use it to reduce their toxicity and stress and whatever dysfunctions they need to heal, and another can use it to enhance or deepen their harmony and unity in the family and in relationships, etc. So it's always good, there's always room to grow regardless of what age and stage we're at in life. And whatever attitudes or behaviors or values that we could use to strengthen our relationships is important to do so. So especially I would say in today's individualized and distracted society, many families, Many, many people, regardless of their religious observance, regardless of what level they're at, maybe there are certain benefits to being more religiously observant, as we'll discuss just now, but there's a lack of family cohesion, and many friendships are even standing to have detrimental consequences due to certain aspects. So let's talk about certain ways in, to correcting or enhancing our relationships. I want to start with a 
a public address the Rebbe gave on Tu in 1974, where he talked about, he discussed the contemporary society and a lot of the struggles and challenges to the cohesiveness of a family. And particularly, he talked about how the family institution is being neglected in many ways. And I asked you, what adverse outcomes do we have? What What is causing the lack of unity? What, what, or what happens when that fundamental institution of family is being eroded? And no doubt, everyone will have their own personal perspectives on this, but when the family isn't functioning as a cohesive unit, there are certain def- definitive results that we can see. Firstly, the lack of emotional support, it, it diminishes the feeling of being a cohesive unit, causing many family members to feel isolated and lonely. And remember what quarantine was like during COVID, particularly I've seen it with the elderly community the importance of staying connected. And in fact, we know the detrimental effects, the terrible consequences we see when children are not present with their family. What this leads to when people feel apart. And I was talking the other day with a, an expert in addictions and talks about how many people are get caught into addictions and habits, smoking and drinking or using other drugs. And the difference between those who are part of a family, don't know the exact numbers offhand, but the likelier use of tobacco and alcohol and marijuana and you know, dacha and all those things for those who don't, who aren't part of a cohesive family are certainly far higher. And Sadly, we see when the family's not connected well, there's a lack of communication. There can be mistrust, it can lead to misunderstandings, to conflict. Rather than treating each other as allies, what happens to family members who find themselves apart or maybe competing and resenting each other? And there's tremendous emotional scars from such relationships or lack of relationships, let's say. What happens to fragmented families where there's a lack of nurture and the beautiful traditions and customs and familial uh, aspects that don't get transmitted, the values, the ethics, the morals of the family to the next generation because sadly, the families aren't united together. And we see this actually very much related in, in our parsha this week, we're reading about the Almighty God giving us the Ten Commandments of Mount Sinai. And you'll notice something fascinating. We have two sets of tablets. The one set of tablets are the laws between man and God. And the second one has to do with our interpersonal relationships. Yet very interestingly, the commandment to honor our parents is on the first set of tablets, on the one relating to our relationship between man and God. It's very interesting because what is its connection there? And interestingly, the Abarbanel says, if you look at the imperative to honor our parents, he says that it is very much connected with what the Torah says later on. Remember the days of old, reflect upon the generations of the past. 
ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will inform you. The objective of this command is to bring us to have faith in the traditions of our ancestors, which obviously constitutes this important Torah principle, without which the Torah's very existence is unimaginable. And that's why the command is included among the first five that are God-related commandments, not among the five interpersonal commandments that are on the other tablet. It's a very important lesson to us about keeping that family unit united and connected. Of course, you could think of other examples of the potential consequences when a family isn't well connected with each other. But what, what causes that discord? What elements could contribute to a family's difficulty in maintaining that cohesion? And again, there may be very many, but the Rebbe addressed a certain few that I'm talking about 50 years ago, 1974. And he discussed particularly things that were relevant to that time, societal factors that were significant contributors to the erosion of a family cohesion for those days. And those trends, I don't think, are limited to the 1970s. What was true 50 years ago maybe have a different manifestations today. But in some cases, it's the same, probably just even more pronounced than it were then. One of the examples the Rebbe gave was about individualism. He discussed the idea that contemporary society places a strong emphasis on individuality, on personal fulfillment. And this focus, the Rebbe felt, can lead to a reduced commitment to maintaining close family bonds, particularly if those bonds are perceived as unhelpful in attaining personal goals or worse yet in contradicting them. Now, I'm not here to criticize individualism in any way, God forbid, to destroy it. I'm just pointing to this, as the Rebbe did, as one of the sociological realities of today that can impact the family cohesion. And we'll talk more about that soon because you find in Jewish society and in the development and settlement in Israel, for example, there was the concept of the kibbutz. While the kibbutz was a communal village, it some ways did not highlight the the potential for the individual. Now, some kibbutzim did, which is commendable, and we'll talk more about that uh, just now. Another one that I think is not only around in the 70s, but even more so today, you know, in the past, family members who lived in the same home, they spent a lot of time together because there were limited alternatives other than the four walls of the home that people just, you had to converse with one another. But then came the advent of technology, and that revolutionized that reality. Initially it was television, radio, and then and the, and the phone. And today, of course, we have our smartphones and we have more than that social media that's taken, us, taken it to a whole new level. And that, of course, allowed people to be physically present. We're at home next to each other, but mentally absent. We're engrossed in our devices and that has a major impact and erosion on the cohesiveness of the family. Of course, some of the essential aspects that family life traditionally provided, such as a sense of connection and support and belonging, can be partially obtained, or at least many assume it could be obtained through the social media connections. One saw a cute cartoon of a funeral where no one was present and said, but he had 5,000 Facebook friends. 
you know, with technology, we would have hoped that it should have solved a lot of our problems and lessened the need for family for many, but unfortunately it's had the opposite effect. And again, I'm not here to criticize technology or to say we shouldn't have it. I make very good usage of it. And while I feel there's a lot of risk to me personally, to my family, try to utilize it in the best way. Of course, with everything, whether it's money, money can do so many, so much good, yet at the same time we know that it can have detrimental effects. And the same thing you could say, fire, you know, think it could warm your home and you can melt things together and yet fire could be so destructive. So I'm not in any way campaigning, I'm not in any way endorsing that we shouldn't use technology, but I'm just bringing to our attention, I'm highlighting the idea that there are various challenges to the family unit that we could all relate to. And there's so many more. There's one that some of my seniors discussed with me, and that is that throughout history, women generally remained at home and didn't pursue careers. Now, we could all point to the benefits from the fact that that's no longer the reality, whether it's the fact that we have a double, a dual income many families have, which could mean less economic stress, and the fact that women have equality, which took a very long time to obtain. But at the same time, what was pointed out to me was the fact that there are obviously some potential drawbacks too. In the older model, women could only satisfy the innate human need to achieve and succeed by investing their time and emotional energy into enhancing the family unit. Pursuing a career, it was a whole different world. It means that the human condition to accomplish is being satisfied by other means, which could cause some others to feel less of a need to invest the added time, the energy, the resources into their family, especially if they don't perceive any apparent crisis. And that is something, again, not to criticize women in the workforce or equality, but what some people mentioned to me was that it's another sociological reality that could impact the familial cohesion. And the same thing you could say is applies to men. If a man is not, is never to be found at home, is always out, he has to go to shul, he has to go to work, he has to go here, he has to go there, he's never home with the family. Same exact thing. Not to say that men or women shouldn't be working, but to find the right balance and to strike that chord. And the main point I'm trying to point out is that there are various things in our life today, from technology to individuality to the workforce, etc., etc., that is pulling at us in all different directions. And therefore, it is imperative for all of us in our own lives to do whatever we can to ensure that we don't cause a dysfunction in our families, we don't break down the family unit. And there are extreme cases, less extreme cases, whatever the case might be, whatever societal trends that can weaken the family unit and each individual, every single one of us knows personally what it is that causes our own situation, the breakdown of our relationships with friends and especially with family. And with that in mind, with realizing that we can face these challenges, the point is not to be focused on the problem, we're only painting the situation in order to focus on the solution. So we identify a problem, that there are various societal factors that contribute to the contemporary challenges, the struggle of family fragmentation, and each of those, obviously, we can look for the solutions, which is exactly what we're going to be doing right here today. 
on Soul to Soul 101.9 High FM. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. High FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today we're talking about family bliss. What can we do to make our family unit that much stronger, to intensify the relationships we have with family, with friends, with neighbors? How can we create that warm and healthy atmosphere to avoid the toxicity and whatever it is that might be detrimental to our relationships, to domestic harmony, to whatever creating that environment might be. And so very interestingly, sharing with you some insights and teachings, advice for life and the teachings of the Rebbe. And he points out to a verse in the Torah where it describes the census, the counting of the Jewish nation. And there the Torah emphasizes and repeats that the members were counted. What does it say? According to their families, to the houses of the fathers, meaning they were counted as family units and even more so the rebbe adds that there that the importance of the family can seen by the fact that it's highlighted at important junctures throughout our ancestors desert their journey in the desert right in the beginning of creation we are also told there that adam was only called adam a man a person once there was male and female that he was together with his wife, with Chava, they became a family unit. That's where he gets the name Adam. At the beginning of the story about the first, the very first Jews, we're told that both Avraham and Sarah, they made souls through their unified outreach work. And further on, before Matan Torah, this week's Parsha, Moshe was told to instruct the woman first about the Jewish mission because they were the foundation of the Jewish family. So over and over, we see this idea, the importance, the significance of family. Now, certainly, if we go back to the verse where God is doing the census, the count of the Jewish people, we know God probably had a good idea and knew exactly how many people there were. God didn't need the census for his Bureau of Statistics. Instead, this counting was aimed to demonstrate Hashem's love for us and what's relevant to our mission to what we're discussing here is that God instructed that this census take place. God stressed that Moshe must count the Jews, how? As families, to identify the total number of the Jews who were present in the desert. In other words, God doesn't only want to express his love for the Jewish people as a nation, but Hashem also wants to express his love for us as individuals, each person according to their family. And that's because the family unit is of tremendous significance. It's in fact, the pinnacle of sanctity. And this is something very uh, significant. And there continues in that talk in, uh, this was in Tafshin Lamed, uh, Lamed Dalid, 1974, 50 years ago. And he talks about the Torah's mystical teachings strongly emphasize the importance of the family unit within the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus. And the, obviously the most divine-like act that we have is to be fruitful and multiply, to reproduce, to give birth to children. In fact, according to Shulchan Aruch, there is the idea that parents have to have at least a male and female, a son and a daughter. Now, of course, need to emphasize 
And uh, the, the caveat to that, 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 you know, obviously you can't win the lottery without buying the ticket. And in the same sense, you can only do what you can do. So if you at least engaged in the mitzvah, or if one attempted to, to, to get married, right? You had to at least do your part. The rest of it is in almighty God's hands. Well, Kabbalah and Hasidus explain that we see this concept, the idea within procreation, within the name of Hashem itself, it's hinted. I'm talking about the four-letter name of God, Yud and He, followed by Vav and He. The Yud corresponds to the masculine, to the father aspect, the first He to the mother. So the Vav alludes to the male child, and the final He refers to the daughter. Now, this is a concept that Hasidus explains in Kabbalah, the letter Yud. It's a small nakuda, a little dot, and that represents the concept Chachma, the initial kernel of an idea. The expansive letter He, that represents Bina, which is the development of that kernel. Now, these attributes are male and female, respectively, and are reflected in the procreation process in which the male provides the original kernel of the Zerah, and that seed is nurtured and developed the nine months of gestation within the female. And then the extension of that, you think about it, the letter Vav, that's an extension of the Yud. It's the continuation of the original kernel, that seed, the male seed. And this is, by extending it into the Vav, this is a concept Kabbalah explains. We have the six midas, the emotions. Now, again, we're not going to get into all the details of this, but the point is that is the extension, the hashpa, which is a male characteristic. Malchus, the concept of royalty, is that reception. So in this particular way, the way the divine creation of humanity, biologically speaking, the male is the contributor, the Mashpia, and the female is Makabel, the recipient. That's represented by the letter A, but it's an expansive letter because it takes it and develops it further, which is obviously the entire process biologically how that is achieved. Says Kabbalah that a family with all four elements, father, mother, daughter, and son, that's a complete representation of the divine name. And that is the four letters, Yud and He and Vav and He, the letters of Hashem's name. So if that's the case, when you put it all together, you're creating God's personal name, which is the idea that man is created in the image of God. What's the most God-like characteristic we have? That's the creation of another human. And this is the idea that a family is linked to the most holy entity, the divine name. Just as four seemingly random letters you place them in proximity in the proper order, are transformed into the divine name which expresses God, the individuals of a cohesive and healthily functioning family become an entity representing God in this world. Every single one of us have that great, great potential to do so. And that's something the Torah teaches. The ultimate divine dwelling is where in a strong family unit. We had COVID not long ago. We realized, where was the majority of our Judaism celebrated? Where was it observed? Schools were closed. It wasn't being done there. Obviously, it's within 
the family unit together at home. And that's why it's so important. It's vital that we make sure that the home is a healthy place where the family can prosper and grow. And this is something beautiful we're going to read next week where the Torah says, God gives the instruction, the directive to build a holy temple. Started off as a sanctuary, a tabernacle in the desert. Built for me a temple, Hashem says, and I would dwell in them. And our sages, and particularly this is an idea that's emphasized by the Shalah HaKadosh, my wife and children are descendants of him, Rabbi Yeshaya Levi Horowitz. And he says, grammatically speaking, it doesn't make sense. Why does the verse say, why does Hashem say, build for me a sanctuary, I dwell in them? Shouldn't it have said within it, within the temple itself? So the Shalal explains that this to us is the message God is saying, that it's not just in the sanctuary, but in them, in each and every one of us. God's dwelling within us is not a secondary objective. That's why the verse says, that's the primary objective of this directive. If God's primary home were the temple, the Torah would have said that God would dwell within it. And at the same time, find a way to allude to him, to the concept that God also dwells within us. But the verse specifically says, I will dwell within them. This implies this indicates that this is the primary objective the opening of the verse when it says built for me a sanctuary it's simply the method by which the primary goal of dwelling within the jewish people can be achieved where where is that physical location of god's dwelling among us in a home father mother sister and brother where everyone forms a cohesive family unit we're all family with we're one unit, Am Yisrael. We are an extended family. But this is the idea. You know, think about it. When you go to Israel and you come and you're standing, you're approaching the Western Wall, you see it in front of you. With a bit of imagination, we could transport ourselves back in time. And we could envision the wonder, the reverence, that experience that our ancestors must have had when they were perhaps ascending the Temple Mount and stepped into the sacred precinct of the Temple. What we're discovering here is that the magnificent temple in Jerusalem, all of its grandeur and all was not an end in itself. Visiting the temple was designed to ignite a spiritual fire with every individual to create that temple, that mikdash, the mikdash me'at, the miniature temple within our own homes, in our households, with our families, that we foster an enduring connection with the divine. We're at home. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the family is. This is exactly the point. And something interesting, sidetrack, but a fascinating idea, something again from the Rebbe's teachings, the idea that the Kohen Gadol service on Yom Kippur and the Beis HaMikdash, which brought together, think about it, the holiest person, the high priest, in the holiest place in the holy temple in Jerusalem, and on the holiest moment of time, Yom Kippur. And there are two interesting details. First of all, the Kohen Gadol, you know, could only be qualified to be a Kohen, to be the Kohen Gadol, if he was actually married. And not only that, at the end of the full day of all the ceremony for the full service in the temple, when the Kohen Gadol would go back home to his family, the trip home was celebrated by all the Jews. The Kohen Gadol's sacred work may have been, it could have taken place in a holy temple, but that wasn't the pinnacle of the Jewish spiritual experience. That was not the ultimate it was only a means to an end. The goal of the spiritual worship of all the ceremony and service in the temple was to harness that energy 
into the family life of the Kohen Gadol. And the Kohen Gadol would be the role model, the example for all the people to look up to and realize what it's all about. God created our world with a purpose. And this purpose revolves around us, humanity making the earth more habitable. The way God made it with all our free choice that every one of us has the opportunity every single day to rectify all the evil and social ills that exist around us and ultimately revealing the inherent oneness between the world and Hashem. So we can do it. And this is something the Torah emphasizes and teaches us and highlights. And we learn that God chose this unique strategy, how it involves the formation of a small, tight-knit battalion. And that's your family. That's your family here on earth. Every one of us are capable. God put us here. God says we matter. We're significant. In fact, we're indispensable. So now we realize that it's within my family unit. The family consists of a husband and wife, a father and mother. They come together and they establish a sacred space, their corner of the world, their family. They express love, support, mutual appreciation for one another. They nurture each other's spiritual growth and make God an integral household theme. And what happens? This loving Jewish environment, it becomes the cradle in which new lives are born, who eventually inherit those values, the traditions, the customs, the, the ethics that are passed down from their parents. The children learn it and inculcate it. And with that, we're able to heal and infuse the world, our surroundings, our environment with that godliness in our particular corner of the world, in our neighborhood. And of course, our neighbors hopefully do it too. And there's a ripple effect that has an inspiration. And around the world, wherever we are, there are so many families that are taking up this specific idea and ideal of making the world a better place. From each familial haven, the members radiate the goodness and godliness of the world beyond their doorsteps. And they can transform the world. And I think it's most significant, particularly today, as we commemorate and observe the yard site of Rebbe and Mushka, the wife of the Rebbe, and something that the two of them, although the Rebbe was so busy, she was more introverted and not as renowned for everything. But one of the famous things, one of the few things we know about them was that every single day, the Rebbe and the Rebbetson would have a special tea time there. And that tea party was sacrosanct. There was, the Rebbe compared it, and we only know this because he said it to his cardiologist, to his doctor, Dr. Ira Weiss, that it was, he felt it was like the mitzvah of putting on tefillin in the sense that he said that this is something that you can't miss on a single day. Every single day he had that special time. While the Rebbe was very busy and was speaking with world leaders and cared for everyone, including even myself, but yet he emphasized, don't neglect the family unit. And he demonstrated that he was a living example of that as busy as he was, as, as important as everything was, it was important that every, that, that he lived up to this ideal of caring for the family. I saw a video where the Rebbe talks to a, a banker, a very famous banker from Switzerland. And he says, it's good for your business if you have a happy family life. So even business success revolves around the family. And it's important that we don't neglect that. We don't underestimate that. This, of course, is the idea by which that God chose us, each one of us. We're here, we exist because God wants us and needs us. And that's why God wanted and created this in a way that it's that the families were counted. We weren't just counted as individuals. Think about the counting of the Omar. We count the days and the weeks. The weeks perhaps represent the greater unit of the nation of Israel. But at the same time, don't forget 
the individuals, every single person is important. And that's why God associates his name with the life of the family, because to emphasize that Hashem wanted to dwell within us, within the life of the family, within every single one of us. And that's God's strategy for transforming the world. And it hinges on us. How? Connecting with our families and our own relationships. I have a hypothesis. I believe that when we can ensure that there's peace within our own homes, within our own relationships and friendships, that will have a ripple effect and will have macrocosmically peace around the world. We'll be right back in a moment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great being with you here today. And cannot believe how time flies so quick. We must be having some fun. Well, we've been talking about the key to family harmony. And I think this applies not only to our familiar relationships, but all of our relationships in life in general. One can say that what is our preference? Do we want to be happy? Do we want to be right? And if our attitude is that I prefer to be happy, then we can make things work. Unfortunately, in life, we see there's a attitude a lot of people have. What have you done for me lately? It's all about what can I get out of this relationship? What's for my benefit? And when you have that kind of an attitude, people could really try to, it's all about what's, what's my own benefit out of the situation. And sadly, that is really one that can take a toll on family and, and any relationship because sadly so it's not the way it goes one crucial stage in life where the question of what have you done for me lately is asked with particular force when children become teenagers which is something that is uh, personally pertinent and slowly at least in their perception some of the things they once relied on their parents for seem to vanish and they feel they can find abundant emotional support and a sense of belonging by hanging out with friends rather than family. They explore their questions perhaps on Google searches instead of asking their teachers and parents and they sometimes start doing their own things and suddenly what have you done for me lately becomes a, a question in one's mind. What do I do for you? And I think that in relationships and meaningful relationships, it cannot just be about what's in it for me. When we approach the concept, especially of family with a sense of purpose and recognize that it's a sacred task assigned by God to establish and nurture holy spaces through which we can manifest to express God's presence here in this world. In this perspective, all family members turn to themselves and ask, what have I done for it, for my family lately. What small act can I do today that will bring me closer to my spouse? What nice touch can I introduce this weekend that will lead to a unified family experience? What can I do for my children? What can I do for others? To paraphrase the quote, famous quote from President John F. Kennedy, don't ask what your family can do for you. Perhaps ask what can you do for your family? And if we're calculating whether I can get by without my family because what have they done for me? Then certainly that's uh, a, a recipe for disaster. It becomes a non-starter. Now, obviously, within certain situations, you know, if there's a toxic relationship or, or other situations that might require the termination of, of that relationship, by all means, you know, Judaism permits divorce and, in fact, sometimes requires it. Right. So if there's abuse, if there's neglect, there may be a necessity to to separate from 
a relationship of that nature. But how does that famous saying go? Hard cases make bad law. The concept that, well, when judges or lawmakers establish rules or make decisions based on those exceptional circumstances, the resulting laws, whatever the precedents, they, they, they might not just be uh, practical or, or of the typical situations. So in a similar vein, we shouldn't permit extraordinary cases to shape our core values. You do that would lead to flawed principles. We have to treat these situations, obviously, as exceptional occurrences or circumstances and otherwise be focused on what's the norm? What's the normal way? How do we deal with family and friends? And I think we all prefer happiness in our lives. For families at risk of living together but drifting apart, the Torah tells us how you have to stick together and what we can do to strengthen those bonds of love, of family, of friendship. And this idea, looking, focusing on the Torah's concept of the family is certainly one of the solutions that we can do for ourselves, for our family, for our loved ones. And therefore, one of the things, in fact, that says, we say it every morning in our prayers, Elu Devarim, Sha'in Hamshir, there are certain mitzvahs which they're you know, there, there's no reward in this world where they can be only rewarded in the in the next world. And or or perhaps even a diminishment of the reward in the afterlife if the reward is enjoyed here. But there are a few mitzvahs for which there is reward not only in this world, but also in the next world. And one of those is peace in the home. And bringing peace between not only home, between two people who aren't family, you could say the same thing, but family harmony is underscored. The idea of shalom bias. And it's very, very important that we do everything we can to keep that harmony and peace. And we see the emphasis of that within the fact that it is something that is a tremendous war, not only in this world, but in the next as well. We have to do everything we can for peace. You come into a home, what is the first thing you see? Even before you enter, you see the mezuzah. Mezuzah is placed on a slant. Why is it on that slant? Well, our sages tell us different opinions, whether the mezuzah should be vertically placed or horizontally so. And by placing it on a slant, it teaches us the importance as you come home to be able to bend a little bit, to concede to another, to compromise. That compromise should not be seen as just a concession, but rather that when we bend a little and each person in the home says, I'm willing to say that even if I feel that I'm the one who's more correct, I'm willing to accept another person's perspective and opinion as well. And I think it's a very important point that before we even enter our home, if we have that attitude, not of what have you done for me lately, but an attitude of what can I do for you? How can I be there for another? And this is the Torah model. Obviously, there's so much within Torah that I don't know if we have enough time today to cover all the different ideas. And by doing so, the focus, the emphasis is not about myself. It's about what can I do for another. In fact, the Hebrew word for love, we're coming into Valentine's Day soon, is ahava. And the etymology, the root of the word is have, which seems to be narcissism about what can I have? What can I get out of this? But actually, the word have means to give. In the, I, the Torah ideal of a relationship is what can I give for another? The focus shifts from my own rightness that I'm right and I want to do things and what's in it for me. And we become willing to put in the necessary efforts to be there for another. That's the key 
to success. Because as the Talmud teaches, success is built on the diligent toil, the effort that I put in. And what does it say on the, on the Coke bottles? No deposit, no return. You put in the deposit, you put in the effort, you will see tremendous return. So let's conclude today's discussion with a few practical suggestions on how we can we can try to fix and 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 enhance our relationships, especially the familial ones, but also friendships. And that's something we can all do by putting in the effort, taking concrete steps to enhance something, to fix something. And let's just think of a few examples. You know, in society, I don't know how often people get together for dinners, maybe December 25th, maybe Easter, maybe whatever other holidays they do or don't observe, maybe a rugby or, or cricket these days, cricket success, right? They'll have a nice bride get together. But we in Judaism, built within the very fabric of Judaism, is celebrating Shabbos. And think about Shabbos the importance of celebrating Shabbos and to celebrate it properly reminds us not only about God creating the world and the exodus from Egypt, but beyond the spiritual significance, Shabbos provides a remarkable platform and opportunity for nurturing family harmony in so many ways of building up on the quality of, of, of the time we spend together with our loved ones, sharing meals, engaging in heartfelt conversations, uh, singing songs and in harmony with each other. It creates a unique bond with loved ones sitting around. And particularly if we follow Jewish law and we put away all distractions, anything that's muktzah. So instead of family members uh, being on their phones, as it's very typical to see people coming together for dinner and everybody's sitting on their phones and people are doing their own thing. But everybody's focused and looking at each other, being present is the greatest present. So here... It's about focusing, being together with one another. It's such a beautiful aspect of Shabbos where we're free of any distraction and we have the beautiful time, quality time to spend at the Shabbos table, spent together. Shabbos becomes a powerful tool that enhances our family cohesiveness, especially in today's digitally connected world. We need to disconnect sometimes in order to connect. And of course, that is one of the ideas, but there's a lot more. And I want to just get to uh, some very, very powerful suggestions that the Rebbe gave about family spending time together. And let's conclude with the home-based mitzvahs that the Rebbe encouraged families to take on because each of these mitzvahs will help enhance a family's life. And very briefly and quickly, tzedakah. Every home should have a tzedakah box. It reminds the household to give charity, obviously not on Shabbos or Yom Tev, when we refrain from handling money, but it should be something that becomes a fixture of the home, whether it's attached to the kitchen wall or even in your bedroom and office and dining room and all the prominent places of a home that you have charity, that you realize the importance of taking our hard-earned money and sharing it with those who are less fortunate than ourselves. It's something that inspires everyone in the household or everyone in your workplace to think not just about themselves. Another important one is having a home or office filled with holy books. A Jewish home needs Jewish sacred texts. So think about what you need. You need a siddur, a prayer book, a book of Tehillim, Psalms, uh, whatever other particular books that inspire you and a typical religious Jewish home will have lots of books in it. Of course, we talked about the importance of a mitzvah as soon as you come, of the mezuzah, as soon as you come into the home that you see the mezuzah and you realize that it brings us protection, but it teaches us and inspires us to be compromising with the others so that everybody could flourish, everyone could be happy. Torah study. Every Jew should engage in 
studying Torah. And when couples can study together, families can study together, it's even greater and has such an important influence and impact on all those in the household. Of course, we talked about Shabbos, women, girls lighting the Shabbos candles, bringing in that light and illuminating their environment. A Jewish home should be a kosher home, a observing the mitzvahs of family purity when a father puts on tefillin in the presence of his children these are all inspirations that i think can help a family and friends because friends can encourage friends to do the right thing and thereby make sure that the relationships are ones that are based not just on what's in it for me what can i get out of this but rather what can i do for you and my friends without practical tips. I hope we're all ready to build on that and to expand and to uh, fortify and enhance our relationships. Of course, strong family bonds are essential and friendships need that idea of focusing while at the same, while we focus on, on enhancing the relationship, it should have just be what's in it for me. So we need that good balance between the family, between the individual and the family so that their every person is recognized and appreciated for who they are. But at the same time, the family unit is strengthened and enhanced. I invite you to come join us next week, please, God, for JLI Advice for Life. And next week, we are going to talk about another area. We know, unfortunately, sometimes too familiarly as one who's involved with Hatzalah and with the elders in our community, physical illness and its treatments come along with a host of questions and dilemmas. So from home and hospitals around the globe, patients, physicians, professors, many people asked the Rebbe's advice and communicated and corresponded with him regarding health matters. And next week, we invite you to join us on Wednesday as we'll explore the Rebbe's advice, a treasure trove of guidance and deeper perspectives that convey his holistic approach in which physical health is intertwined with emotional and spiritual well-being. I invite you to come join us for the Jewish Learning Institute lessons, advice for life on wholesome health next week, Wednesday. Wishing you all a fabulous Shabbos. God bless you. Carpe diem sees every moment. Remember to aspire to inspire or you expire. God bless you.